Welcome to another Discovering New Horizons in Health and Wellbeing podcast featuring Dr. Jim Polikoff. Today's guest for this episode is Jude Chow, author of Skincare for Your Soul. She is also known as the Queen of Skincare. As always, each podcast episode is a search for the truth and how it applies to our daily lives in health and well-being. Now here to take you on this exciting New Horizons journey is our host, Dr. Jim Polikoff. Yes, thank you for joining me. In any case, I think I may have some good news. All of our podcasts in the past have been simply strictly audio, but now we're incorporating video. So you can either choose to listen to the podcast on audio, or you can watch it on Spotify or YouTube, or or you can do both. In any case, hopefully you'll share the good news with me and share it with your friends. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on skincare. And as many of you know, it's a huge, huge industry. Skincare products are booming. Last year alone, over $511 billion was spent on skincare products. Now, a lot of this, of course, is due to media hype and also, I believe, misleading claims. But we're going to cut through all of this today because my guest is Jude Chow, who New York Magazine calls the reigning queen of skincare. Jude also uh, has her own company called Love Jude, and she's the author of a famous blog, Fifty Shades of Snail. So without any further ado, I want to bring in our guest, Welcome, Jude. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. Well, good. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about the content of your book. Here it is right here. We can see it. Skincare for Your Soul. And you wrote this book, and it's a magnificent job you did. I I was very impressed by it, and actually, I was able to pretty much go through it in one session, if you can believe that. Normally, I don't read that much, but in this case, I do. (laughs) But in any case, uh, we're going to talk about the content of your book. But first, let's talk about you. Your background is you're Taiwanese-American, and you were raised in a small Midwestern town. Uh, And then at the age of 20, if I am correct, you were diagnosed with depression. But how did that lead you into skincare? Tell us a little bit about that. It's a long, rambling story. So, um, I'll break it if I need to. Okay. Um, As you've seen from the book, I was adopted and I had lost my mom when I was 13. And I lost my dad when I was 17. Um, Basically, from my mom's death, I had suffered from depression and I didn't realize it. I, I had so many clinical symptoms, but I just thought I was being lazy or, you know, just something was wrong with me, but I wouldn't have thought it was an illness. By the time I was 20, I was living on my own and I was starting to be more aware of just mental health issues in general. So I had gotten myself depressed. Uh, I had gotten myself diagnosed. I had gotten myself medicated. And this was a reality that I lived with for the next, let's see, I'm 42, so 22 years. And well, my you 20s, do admit your age. I, I'm I the only one that doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't really understand the holistic nature of a mental illness like depression. I thought I'm medicated and that should be enough. Anything else in my life that goes wrong is just 
my failings. So I spent my 20s really kind of floating back and forth from different things, kind of struggling here and there to sort of survive in Southern California, um, trying different jobs, going back to school. Nothing really stuck. By the time I was in my early 30s, I had just gotten lucky in terms of starting my blog and finding skincare and now having... I'm assuming this period, I don't mean to interrupt you, but from the <laughs> age of 20 to 30, you're still suffering from depression. Am I correct? Absolutely. I mean, medication helps a little bit. I would say I'm sure I would have been in much worse shape without some kind of treatment. But certainly looking back, it affected my whole life, relationship mm -hmm. choices, job choices, my everyday behavior, the kind of problems that I had. A lot of that can be traced back to the fact that my depression was still very poorly managed. And my assumption being that if you have medicine, that's all you need to do for it. Mm -hmm. and just by luck, or maybe by like the universe intervention, I had kind of stumbled across skincare at a time when I could actually afford to experiment with it. And I had stumbled across skincare at a time when there were all these online communities growing up around it, which is something that we never had before. So 80s, 90s, when I was growing up, what did we have? It was like magazines, magazine editors telling you what to do and telling you what to buy. We didn't really have that peer-to-peer -peer interaction, which was something that I resonated with so strongly when I joined those communities. I am a writer by background. At the time that all of this started blowing up, I was a tech writer. So I found it very easy to communicate with words and with text. And so I, would have, as, I would guess you were a little bit of skeptical about all the information about skincare that was coming out. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed just researching and learning about ingredients and trying to figure out the difference between what's just well marketed and what's actually effective. So it was really when I was able to delve into skincare and kind of understand what works for me and what doesn't and put together the kind of routine that I talk about in the book that I found that my depression was suddenly much better managed than I'd, I was a totally different person. So my book talks about skincare. I understand that not everyone is going to find the same path through the same tool, but the overarching theme of it that I think that I felt would apply to anyone was that I was taking care of myself for the first time in my life. I was able to, to have the privilege to buy things that I could use so, as tools. So the ability to take care of yourself began to relieve the depression and got you into a better frame of mind. Is that what you're telling us? Exactly. So what I have observed is that the practices that we have in our day-to-day -day life are ways of training our brain of how to perceive ourselves and our value. When we take the time to put into practice some kind of self-care, if it's skincare, if it's exercise, diet, every time we take this action, we're teaching ourselves that we have value and that we are worth the care, the patience, the understanding. And when we see results, that just reinforces that lesson. And ultimately, I found that the effect of that was so incredible for me that I felt that this was something that deserved to be shared because I don't think that it's a lesson that many of us have learned. I think that we often are taught to sort of self-sacrifice or to say that things that we just do for our own enjoyment or for our own care are kind of frivolous and should be a low priority compared to things that we do for others or just what we do for survival. I well, I'd like to so I'd like to give a quote in, in the piece that you wrote, I believe, in Fascinista. Mm -hmm. um, you state, I love good skincare because it can be do it can do so much more than just improve my appearance of skin. 
so is that what you meant uh, that that basically it did so much more for you and that's why you that was a blog i suppose you wrote at fashionista mm-hmm. right yes um absolutely that was actually the first that i had written about this effect and it resonated so strongly with so many people i think that that having that essay published in fashionista is actually what started to really build the following that i have now because a lot of people were either starting to feel that themselves as they also were playing around with skincare or it gave them the kind of the inspiration to try. And I still, to this day, get so many messages from people saying like, you know, I read this, I read your book and I really started to like put a skincare routine, take care of myself. And it's true. I feel so much better. So feeling better about yourself. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's because you're taking the time to devote to you, not necessarily the world around you, the people who you feel you need to somehow serve in some way, but you're serving yourself. Exactly. Yeah. It's what they tell you on airplanes, right? You can't really help someone else until you put your own oxygen mask on first. That's a good, that's a very good analogy. I like that. Now we're going to be talking about skin types, but Mm -hmm. actually before we get into that, I have a question about skin tones. Um, you're a proponent of K-beauty mm-hmm. and obviously Korean beauty products that, that you feel are superior to many that are out there in the marketplace. But I have a question that may sound a bit silly, but our audience, they have a wide variety of individuals with different skin tones. Can K-beauty or Korean beauty products work for those just as well as other things on the marketplace? Absolutely. So this is a really great question because this comes up a lot with people who are curious about it. Ultimately, our skin biologically doesn't really vary between races very much. There has been some research done that say like, oh, well, Asian skin is a little bit thicker in this area, a little bit thinner in that area compared to, say, Caucasian skin. It might be a little bit different from black skin. However, the differences are really minor. They don't affect how well a topical product would work on you typically. One thing that is a differentiator is in the market forces that drive how products are developed and the kinds of concerns that they address. So I think I've wrote about this before, but in general, East Asian beauty standards are very, very focused around skin. And the sort of concept of an ideal skin for those beauty standards is very specific. I would say that, especially growing up here in the West, a Western beauty standard for skin is pretty much just, mm, you know, it's clear, it doesn't have any acne and minimal wrinkles, and that's it. So with East Asian beauty standards, at least in the last, say, 15, 20 years, it's a certain texture, it's a certain color, it's a certain level of plumpness. Um, There's no dark spots. It's extremely even. So with that like super granular level of detail, which can be problematic philosophically, but in terms of how it drives product development, tends to lead to really specialized products. And there is a really high demand for products that actually work. So that's really the main differentiator between why I have always gravitated towards Korean products. It's the choices the much more intense competition for products that are actually going to be memorably effective versus just kind mm-hmm. of the same Cetaphil, Neutrogena, things that you find at the drugstore that have been around for like 20 years. So could you could we say that there's more of a focus in Korean products with nutrients, the nutrient value, and therefore it has less to do with skin tone as well as the nutrients or the nutrients working for you? Absolutely. So I think the only areas where people who are not 
of East Asian descent might be want to be a little bit careful are just things like color cosmetics. So makeup, foundation, it will be harder to find matches if you have skin tones that are like radically different from Korean skin tones. Um, there are certain products that are like whitening, which just put like a white cast on your skin. I always tell people like, don't use those products. That's not going to look great. But as far as just treatment products and nutrient products, absolutely no one needs to worry about this not being appropriate for your skin because you're not Asian. So let's talk about skin types. How do we go about determining what our skin type is? Can you give us some examples? Sure. So the easiest way to think about your skin type is by differentiating it based on your skin's oil production. So when we have a normal skin type, our skin produces pretty much just enough oil. If you wash your face, it's not going to feel dry afterwards, but it's also not going to be visibly oily. You're not going to feel a lot of excess oil. Oily skin, of course, produces more oil than you need to. Dry skin doesn't produce enough. So even under the most ideal conditions, your skin would still feel dry to the touch. It will still feel dry within. You can also kind of look at pore size. So dry skin tends to have much smaller, more invisible pores. Oily skin tends to have larger and more visible pores. It's not 100%. Um, a lot of these categories are pretty flexible, but that's the easiest way to tell. The only issue with that is that a lot of the our general hygiene and grooming practices can affect how our skin presents. So if you've read the book, you know I'm very much against very harsh cleansing and excessive exfoliation. Cleansing too much or using very harsh cleansers can cause your face to present as if you have a dry skin type when you don't really. So a lot of this is sort of... So is that what you need skin. to determine? I, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but a dry skin type, I just want to make sure that our audience is able mm -hmm. to get this. You Dry skin is one particular type and oily skin is another type. So you either have dry or oily skin and that's where it begins? That's where it begins. Some people have combination skin where they may have some zones of their face that don't produce enough oil. They uh -huh. may have some zones of their face that produce more. Um, however, as we talked about in the book, skin type is a good way of starting out and kind of figuring out what types of products may be helpful to you. But skin type also kind of changes with age. Generally, as we get older, our skin will produce less moisture and less oil, regardless of our starting point. So it's really just a starting point to say, maybe I should try a more heavy cream if I have dry skin versus maybe I should try a gel if I have oily skin. But beyond that, there's enough of a range of products and textures that you don't really need to think too hard about what your skin type is. And I notice you did mention your age, so I will compliment you on your age. Obviously, you, <laughs> whatever you're doing skincare-wise works quite well. Thank you. Now, what about starting a skincare routine. Okay, so we know what our skin type is. We have a general idea. Now we want to start a routine, a regimen that we can stick with in the morning and the evening. Uh, what do we need to know before we actually start that skincare routine? So the first thing we want to know is that we should start with the basics. So that's simply finding a good cleanser that works well for your skin. It doesn't make your skin too dry, but it does get it clean enough. Finding a moisturizer and an SPF. All of these 
foundational steps are important because anything else that you might add on after that to target specific skin issues that you have will not work as well if your skin is either constantly irritated from using a cleanser that's too harsh or skin that's constantly a little bit dirty because the cleanser doesn't work as well. And as I always tell people, there's no point using anything else if you don't use SPF because the damage that UV radiation causes to skin is something... What do you mean by SPS day. exactly? Sunscreen, sorry. All right. Some kind right. of sunscreen product, yeah. I've got you. All right. Well, that's what I sort of thought, but I just want to make sure our audience stays along with us here. Yeah. So sunscreen is important even when we get into winter and, and this mm -hmm. time of the year that, that we still need to apply sunscreen before we go out in public or even on an everyday basis. So UVA radiation is pretty consistent year-round. So we may burn less. So there's UVB and UVA. Those are the two main types of radiation that we need to worry about with the sun. UVB is responsible for burning. This is shorter wavelength type of radiation. So it doesn't penetrate as deeply, but it causes a lot of damage at the surface. UVA is a longer wavelength. It causes deeper damage and more damage. UVB is pretty variable based on things like the time of year, the time of day. So of course, like high noon in the summertime, you are gonna have a lot of UVB and your risk of sunburn is going to be higher, but UVA penetrates cloud cover penetrates mm -hmm. windows too. And mm -hmm. that is pretty much present at a more or less the same level all year round. So for people that are concerned about either wrinkles, skin aging, dark spots, or skin cancer, the big one, UVA mm -hmm. is always going to be a concern regardless of where you are, what time of year it is. Well, dermatologists tell you... me, some of my friends who are derms have told me that even if it's cloudy outside, the sun is still penetrating, you mm -hmm. still are at risk, even though it seems like a cloudy, overcast day. Is that correct? Exactly. And it uh -huh. reflects, too. So if you think about things like snow or even just walking on concrete, that radiation is still reflecting up from the ground onto your face. So it's not quite as simple as just like hide the top of your head either. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good point. So now you had mentioned cleansing and moisturizing. That's that's something we need to consider when we first start a skincare routine, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. So what should we be aware of there? I know you be mentioned aware. a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. So the outer layers of our skin, our skin barrier, is really, really important to the health of our skin. It's composed of natural lipids that your skin produces and flattened dead skin cells. You can kind of picture it as a brick and mortar formation. This barrier exists to hold moisture in your skin so that it doesn't dehydrate and dry out too quickly. This barrier also exists to prevent irritants and contamination from getting into your skin from the outside. And that's mm. really the main function of our skin is holding what should be inside in and keeping things that should be outside out. That's so a good description. I like that. So our choice of cleanser is one of the most important decisions we can make to keep that barrier functioning at a healthy level. The healthier your barrier functions, the better your skin will look, and the more protected it will be against things that can sensitize it, irritate it, cause reactions, or also cause acne and um, other concerns. So when we look at cleanser, we want to find one that's gentle to the skin barrier. I generally suggest to people, and there's good research to back this up, that the pH of your cleanser is a really important consideration. So how about an example? Alkaline. Do you have a product or product examples you can give me? I 
should have brought some to my sofa, but I'll say, if you look in the drugstore and you find a pH balanced uh, face wash, let's say CeraVe makes them and it's labeled as pH balanced. So that, that generally will mean that the pH is seven, it's about neutral. That's going to be gentler on your skin barrier where the natural pH is around four and a half to six or so than a cleanser that's like a soap. So if you find an actual soap that's made with fat and lye, the pH of that is going to be like 10, 11, extremely alkaline. And that's really, really damaging to the barrier. So the first thing for someone, if you don't want to like get a pH reader or a pH thrift, so you don't want to fuss with that level of, um, of just getting that deep into it, is to look for a cleanser that either says pH balanced or that's specifically marketed on the label, we'll say low pH. 5.5 is really more ideal than 7, but 7 is a good place to start. A lot of people, myself included, have found that just switching from an overly harsh cleanser to a gentler one creates a very visible difference in your skin. Once you stop just drying it out every single time you wash, you'd be amazed at how much better it looks. So I'm curious now in your skincare line, uh, Love Jude, mm -hmm. do you have any specific moisturizers and cleansers in that line or is that something aside? That's something aside. So my line is just sheet masks. It's just something that I wanted All to right, be. Which I want to get into in just a moment, everyone. as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you're big into masks. Obviously, that mm -hmm. is much of what you do as far as your company is concerned. And that's what Love Jude is all about, correct? Yes. And uh, so in any case, uh, you're into masks. And I believe the label on the mask, or it's called Holy Snails. Am I correct so about that? These are two different companies, and there's always been okay. a lot of confusion. So Holy Snails is a indie skincare company that's actually started by a very, very good friend of mine, Shell. Um, she started the brand because she is a chemist by trade and by training, and she had been making products for herself just based on the ingredients she wanted to play with. I One night was complaining to her, I would like a serum that has this and this and this. And she kind of said, I'll make it for you and see if you like it. So I had blogged mm -hmm. about that because I did love what she made. People got really excited and started begging her to make that for sale. And that's where Holy Snails comes from. And I do a little bit of work for Holy Snails in terms of just social media marketing, social media posts. But Love Jude Skincare is my line. And that is it that is exclusively a line of sheet masks. All right. So tell us about that. Tell us about the Love Jude uh, sheet mask. So sheet masks, I think, were my real introduction into how fun skincare could be. And they were also the first product that I tried, which gives instant results. So to explain for people that aren't familiar with them, a sheet mask is a specific type of face mask. It is usually a single-use um, piece of fabric or material that's cut out so that you lay it across your face. There's holes for your mouth, there's holes for your eyes and nose, and it's soaked with some kind of hydrating liquid essence. So what you do is put this on your face. Uh, the mask stops the liquid from evaporating and it also helps it to penetrate skin better. It's essentially a way of giving your skin a much bigger dose of hydration and nutrients than you can get from regular products that you just put on with your hands. And so you do it. this before you go to bed at night or? Can you do it when you're sitting and watching television? 
You can do it anytime. Just put it on clean skin, put some moisturizer on afterwards. I do it in the morning sometimes, but usually it's at night. But these will instantly make your face so much more hydrated, so much plumper, so much more glowing because they just allow your skin to take in so much more water to plump it up on the surface. So I always loved those basically from the beginning. So when I had an opportunity to start some kind of a skincare line, that's what I went for because this is something that almost everybody can use. I don't have to worry too much about it being based on skin types or on different skin concerns. It's just a fun step that you can pick up like one and enjoy so- the same night. Any skin tone, any skin type would be fine for it. And how long do you need to keep it on for it to to be effective on a particular day? Minimum 15 minutes. Maximum, I keep them on until they start to feel a little bit dry. Like almost all of the liquid is gone. So you don't necessarily need to put them on. Like obviously we see face cream at night. Uh, This is something that you can do, again, while you're watching television, just kicking back and, and enjoying whatever you have going on. And you keep it on for at least 15 minutes and Mm -hmm. actually until you feel uncomfortable with it, I'm assuming. Exactly. Okay. So I'm just kind of curious because I read all these things about you, which are quite interesting. And we know you have the blog, of course. But how did you come up with the term snails? You know, it's a popular ingredient in skincare products in Korea. And it was actual snails? Snail mucin. So this line that's produced by snails. When I was starting out, the trending ingredient in Korean beauty was snail mucin. You were starting to see it in creams and you were starting to see it in face serums. It's I followed these little mentions here and there that people were making to like this Korean snail cream. And they would keep saying it's so good for my skin. So I started following their links. And that's how I came across Korean beauty in the first place, was just from being so curious about why do these people keep talking about snail? What is that? I'm um, assuming it has nothing to do with escargot, correct? No, no, no. Um, and so <laughs> it's I found that this ingredient and some particular products that use it are actually really beneficial for my skin specifically. So it's still one of my favorite skincare ingredients. And so that's kind of where the whole snail thing came from on my blog. And the name Fitty, somebody gave you the name Fitty. Where does that come from and what does it mean? That was Shell. So you've seen my blog is called 50 Shades of Snail, which was just kind of a reference to the 50 Shades books in um, expressing my like deep and unhealthy obsession with snail skincare. So when we were active on Twitter back at that time, Shell would sometimes tweet about me. And one day she just shortened 50 shades of snail to 50 snails and it just kind of stuck. Ah, so all right. just so with that some people do refer to you as Fitty and you don't get upset or embarrassed by it. All right. That's fine. No, not at all. Let's talk about products. Uh, what specific skincare products would you recommend that someone use Obviously, it depends on skin tone to a degree, I suppose. But do you have any products that, I mean, cutting through the hype and everything we see in the media, anything you recommend that people should know about? So it's hard to say because everyone has different goals, but let's take it down to someone who's just starting out, who's never really done any kind of skincare before. Maybe you've been like washing your face with shampoo or something. So as a really basic starter routine that's inexpensive and that you don't have to order online, you can just go to Walmart and get it. 
I would say get CeraVe's cleansing bars. They have a hydrating one and they have one that's called cleanser bar. These are low pH, really nice and gentle facial cleanser. It's convenient because it's in a soap bar form. Get that to wash your face. The CeraVe moisturizer cream, there's one in a really big tub. It's got like a blue label. It's a white tub. And you mentioned Walmart, so I'm assuming it's not too expensive. Exactly. So you can get that for your moisturizer and you can get some, the SPF is a little bit harder to recommend because there's so many different ones, but just as a starter, you can grab something from CeraVe too. I'm not sponsored by CeraVe. It's just that I like their products and they are very basic and affordable and you can find them anywhere. So I'm bringing them up yeah. because that's Well, that's, that's what I told our audience. I mean, you're very honest and ethical. And I think that's why we're so appreciative of you being on today is simply because you're giving us the straight facts. I mean, you're not trying to push or necessarily promote products, but you are high on Korean beauty products. So should people be looking for specific products in the Korean line? So if people are ready to try out Korean products, um, I would say the brand Cosrx, C-O-S-R-X, they are actually also available now in stores like, I don't remember if they're Walmart, but I know you can find them at Ulta and you can find them online, US-based, Amazon, whatever. Similarly to Amazon, I would imagine, right? Exactly. They have their own store okay. there. Similarly, it's very accessible to a lot of different skin types. It's pretty inexpensive. I would look for their Sika cleanser, C-I-C-A. This is kind of a sensitive, skin-friendly, soothing, low pH cleanser that they can use. And they have the snail essence, which I would love it if more people tried. And they have a lot of moisturizing creams, but the snail cream that they have is also really excellent. So what what you choose is also going to depend on your comfort levels and what sounds interesting to you. But in general, as a brand, COSRX would be a really good beginner-friendly one. All right. Any other types of products, like when you're getting into makeup and things, are there makeup products out there that can work against you as opposed to benefiting you? This is a great question. Um, there, Ever since I was a kid, there's been something that's often told to young girls and women, which is don't wear makeup because it'll ruin your skin. Uh, we hear this over and over. It's, it's aging, blah, blah, blah. Actually, not true. So Makeup products generally are not actively beneficial to skin. However, people don't need to worry about them being damaging to skin as long as they're not using makeup products that are that they specifically, their skin is sensitive to or that clogs their skin. So as with skincare, the most important thing is just to pay attention to your skin. If you notice that you're using this kind of product and you're getting problems where you use it, that product is not good for you. But Makeup is fine. There's nothing really to worry about as far as like, oh, I should never use foundation because it's bad for your skin. It's not. It's just another thing that you add to your skin. I would say that one thing, the one mistake a lot of people make is thinking that the SPF, the sunscreen in a makeup product is going to be enough and skipping sunscreen because of that. It's not. It's never going to be enough. The amount of a foundation or face powder with any kind of SPF in it that you would need to use to get... Mm -hmm any appreciable sun protection is going to be way too much. So that's really the one skincare related caution that I would have about makeup. Good, good suggestion. Now I'm assuming at night you want to exfoliate, I guess uh, that would be one of the step. I mean, before you put on your mask, uh, which the sheet mask that we're talking about from love Jude, uh, do you need to do anything special to your face? I mean, wash yourself thoroughly, et cetera, or just put it on. 
Mm -hmm. Just have clean skin. So I don't recommend that people exfoliate too much because that's also quite damaging to the skin barrier. But just take your makeup off if you're wearing any cleanse your face. And then you can put the mask on at any point after that. All right. Now, I have a question about labels. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously you see these labels and or you hear these advertisements. One even better. I hear them on TV. Uh, no chemicals are added uh, without alcohol. I mean, don't most products have chemicals and alcohol in them or am I off the wrong track here? So technically, everything is chemicals. Everything that thought. we're made, you know, I'm chemicals, you're chemicals, apples are chemicals. And, you know, this kind of marketing is really effective and speaks to a fear that a lot of people have that the world that we live in is inherently toxic now, right? Like um, what brands usually mean and what they're trying to invoke by that no chemicals marketing is no synthetics because uh -huh. there is definitely a perception that anything that comes from nature must inherently be safer, gentler, more effective than something synthetic, something man-made. And there's a lot of fear-mongering around more or less anything that's synthetic. It's Is there it's truth actually, in that? No, it's actually one of my pet peeves. So there are plenty of quite dangerous, irritating, toxic substances that are perfectly natural. I'd say poison ivy, poison oak, just as some examples. Meanwhile, there are a lot of benefits to synthetic ingredients. So when we have, let's say, something that's laboratory made, let's say even a derivative of something natural, like niacinamide is just vitamin B. When it's synthesized or when it's extracted in a lab, every molecule is the same. It's very consistent. You get exactly what you get. This makes it very easy to control the strength, the potency, and the effects of a product. There's nothing inherently dangerous about something being synthetic. It's just a way of producing something. There is related fear-mongering around preservatives like parabens, for example, and there's some concerns around different sunscreen ingredients. A lot of it boils down to my conspiracy theory side, there is a lobby for natural ingredients and for sort of natural products in the first place that's quite influential, that's really good at sort of working their way into influencers that are like health, beauty, parenting. And they you're can talking about lobbying things like uh, certain content of magazine articles, for example, that someone exactly. might read that influences them in one particular direction. Exactly. And it's very compelling. And it's a really easy way to get a click to say, this common ingredient in this common product is actually going to kill you. Um, mm. So a lot of that is based on like misinterpreted studies, or just outright like discredited studies. So there's to fear something because it's a chemical or because the name of the ingredient list is something that we can't pronounce is really limiting to people. And it's really kind of pointless. Same with so alcohol. Um, okay. Alcohol is a little bit more, so alcohol is more because the kind of alcohol that is generally worried about is isopropyl alcohol, it's dry alcohol, denatured alcohol. This is used as a solvent, so when you put alcohol in a product, generally it dries faster, so you can put something on and then it'll feel like it's absorbed really quickly, it's a penetration enhancer. For some people, it is something they should avoid. For drier skin types or more sensitive skin types, it can make their skin feel more dry and it can burn a little bit. 
But in general, to the population, alcohol is, again, not something that needs to be worried about. And it's something that can be quite beneficial in terms of like the performance of a product, the way that it feels. So it boils down to gimmick advertising. I mean, how can a consumer feel comfortable about reading a label? What is it that they should look for in a product uh, to cut through this hype and all this misleading information? I would say, look... This is where the challenge is really on the consumer to gain a little bit of basic background knowledge into not necessarily you don't have to understand every single ingredient. That's a little bit too much to ask for someone who's just wants to find a moisturizer that makes their skin feel nice. But gain a general understanding of the different types of moisturizers, maybe spend some time getting an understanding of like the main ingredients. So even what does glycerin do? What does shea butter do? If we understand the first five ingredients that are really common in products, we can get a better idea of how well it functions for us. As far as fear mongering, like, oh, this is, um, this chemical shouldn't be used. That chemical shouldn't be used. Frankly, if it's used in commercial products, and it's something that's been around for a while. The reason that it is still allowed to be used in commercial products is generally because there has not been strong evidence or conclusive evidence that anything is wrong. It's up to the person. If somebody's not comfortable using this or using that, regardless of whether there's a factual basis of it, that's totally up to them. But just starting out, take all of that very scary, like this common ingredient will give you cancer kind of headline with a huge grain of salt. If you can come at it from that skeptical standpoint from the beginning, it will be much more helpful for so just basically not what falling you, into the trap. Well, I think you're talking about is the consumer must be more educated. And mm -hmm. again, another reason to pick up your book, because I think there are quite a, uh, some excellent tidbits in here that are going to steer you in the right direction. Am I correct? I hope so. Yes. So the book, Skincare for Your Soul, uh, let's talk about that aspect of it. I mean, the soul is a very intangible type thing. I mean, we don't see it. We don't feel it. We can't even prove that it's there. It should. But so how does skincare really truly affect the soul, in your opinion? So this is my way of thinking. Your soul is that intangible you can't put a finger on it but it is the core the essence of you like your existence so what i've always said to people about let's say finding your purpose in life you are an absolutely unique individual you're you are a combination of disposition and background history education life experiences that nobody else in the world has or ever had or ever will have that exact combination that makes you special and all of those things combined you can say that that's kind of your soul. So when I say skincare for your soul, what I mean is that these practices that solely exist or that you practice solely to benefit you to improve your experience of life and your experience of yourself is a practice that benefits your soul by giving you that space to nurture yourself. Like for me, the soul so, and the self are something that are very precious and very worth taking care of even when that is through an external practice. So I'm assuming what you're really saying is, again, getting back to the original thoughts that you expressed, and that is that we need to stop worrying about how we appear and what we do for others, but what we do for ourselves to begin giving ourselves that quality time, that quality attention that 
we oftentimes give to others, but not to ourselves, right? Exactly. And the nice thing about that is that the more that we nurture ourselves and give ourselves that space, the more we can end up giving to others and the more we can accomplish externally in whatever pursuit is what we're supposed to do for the world. So it's really something that we benefit ourselves first. Again, you put on your own oxygen mask and then you can help others better because you're in a much better state of mind to do so. You have more to give. So I'm going to recommend again to our audience who are listening and uh, visual audience, Skincare for Your Soul by Jude Chow. Now, this book is available. And by the way, I mean, all of the things that we've covered, things that you need to know about skincare, it's right here. So you can pick this up. Obviously, you can go to Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Uh, Obviously, on our website, uh, Jude, we're going to be listing not only things about your book and about your blog, but you'll probably also provide us some links that we can add to our website uh, that people can go to that will help them in terms of skincare overall. Am I correct? Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, you, you've been a valuable resource. And what I like about this interview is the fact that you cut through a lot of things, a lot of this hype. I mean, people are so confused. There's so much out there. That's why it's such a huge industry in terms of skincare because people are buying left and right, and they're never really quite sure what they're buying. So they're always trying something new, something different. That's why I really recommend your book, because that this will help cut through a lot of it. So I want to thank you for being with us. You've been a valuable, valuable guest. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. You can discover more information about our guest, Jude Chow, and her book, Skincare for Your Soul, by visiting our website, jamespolikoff.com. That's James. P-O-L-A-K-O-F dot com. JamesPolikoff dot com. You'll also discover a variety of valuable resources on our website and other terrific Body, Mind, and Soul podcast episodes. Again, JamesPolikoff dot com. Now back to Dr. Jim. Faith Michelle was absolutely correct. If you come to our website, JamesPolikoff dot com, you're going to find a huge assortment of valuable information that's going to put you on the right track to many things. We really, our goal really is to educate as much as we can. For example, some of the things that Jude Child mentioned during the interview, links that you might need to good skincare, they're going to be there and you're going to find them on our website. Also, we've got a huge plethora of past podcasts that you can listen to, things that you may have missed, some very valuable subject matter. So when you come to our website, you're also going to be able to access previous podcasts that could be very helpful for you. So I want to thank you very much. And remember, again, we're no longer just on audio. We're also on video. So in addition to your favorite audio channel that you might want to listen to, you can find us on Spotify video, and you can also find us on YouTube. So either tune in to watch, tune in to listen, do both. Either way, please keep on joining us. And most importantly, your comments are extremely valuable. So if you'll just go to the contact information, put in your comments what you think we should be looking for or perhaps covering topics that interest you. Give us that information and we will try to react favorably towards it. Again, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure that we can share this information together. Please keep on listening on watching our podcast. Again, this is Dr. Jim Polikoff. Thanks for joining us. See you again soon.